fellow kids, and welcome to episode 18 of Hello Fellow Kids. 18? Yeah. We're a grown-up. <laughs> we still can't drink beers. <laughs> you may notice that the episode is coming out a little bit later, and that's so that we can be on release day for Life Formed Volume 2 Hearts and Minds by Matt Mayer-Lowry and Cassie Anderson, who we're going to be talking to a little bit later. So if you haven't listened to the episode for the first book, you should probably go do that. Because this is very much, like, it's it's not episodic enough for you to just pick this up no, and be like, no. oh, okay. It's like, it's very reliant on everything it built in the first, which yeah, is important. Be, you'd be so confused if you oh, yeah. really this the first one. You're like, what's this dude's issue? What? It is a, another graphic novel. It's under 200 pages it's gonna be quick and again there's gonna be a, a visual component that we encourage you to uh check out for yourself because we can't describe it as well as you know cassie can render it and picture is worth a thousand words yeah and this podcast could only be so long <laughs> the first panel begins oh with... geez <laughs> did i ever tell you about the on youtube there's a uh an audio book of where's waldo they have a, a spread of I the Waldo. Yeah, it's just thirty minutes describing everything that's going on across the whole spread. Do they go up? Oh, there's Waldo. <laughs> so, first impressions. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, the title ended up getting. You've never seen Dirty Dancing, right? No. Okay. Well, there's this scene at the end, right before Patrick Swayze comes in to do his last dance. Because I always do the last dance of the season. Like, all of, like, the staff are up on the stage and they're singing this song that goes, Join hands and hearts and voices, voices, hearts and hands. Because of hearts and minds. I get thinking <laughs> that song and I'm like, what? Ed Kellerman's The Friendship's Last. <laughs> that had nothing to do with the... No. <laughs> <laughs> the text in, in the thing. If it hadn't been called that and I couldn't make a Dirty Dancing reference, I would have hated it. One star. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough dirty dancing references. One star. <laughs> That's like the whole series. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. I liked it. Yeah. I thought, and um, I got to the last page and I was like, "And where's the third one?" <laughs> um. <laughs> I, excuse me. <laughs> I, I, I was just like Jim Gaffigan, and I like the third book. And where is it? <laughs> I also enjoyed it. Yeah, and I'll get more into it, but it had one of my favorite tropes ever. Okay, and cool. And like a villain trope. One of my favorite villain tropes ever. Okay. Yeah, we'll get there. Cool. Chapter one. We begin with a man reading Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer in an underground tunnel. Perfect. He is approached by a hooded figure uh, with their arm in a sling. They are looking for Cleo, having heard that the man keeps a log of missing persons. Uh, I think he's part of a, uh, like a refugee community. Yeah. He offers to add Cleo to the list and for the figure to come to their group and get their arm looked at, but the figure swiftly cuts the man down with a hook-like hand. Months later, Cleo and Pseudo-Alex are working as an expert team to take out shapeshifters using an alien gun trash cans at a bounce house. Things go sideways when a tripod-esque alien attacks, and while rescuing Cleo, Pseudo-Alex has flashback memories of Cleo's birth, presumably from the original Alex's mind. The scene then changes to brief shots of a human woman being strapped to a table on an alien ship. Next, we see the hooded figure in the present, who, overhearing radio chatter that might reference Cleo, begins heading for our heroes. And then, my first prediction was that the hooded figure is the same character as the woman on the ship, 
having been spliced with alien DNA to give her the hook hand and such. Because the, the scenes, like, immediately followed each other. And mm. so I was like, I was like, is this, this is one of those things where you're supposed to be like, and then you transfer it over, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I, before I started this, I had forgotten that there's the whole, like, backstory that's been slowly building with, like, yeah. the, the alien experimentation and stuff. And by the time that that segment kind of finish, finishes its little <laughs> mini arc in this, I'm like, okay, do we just get a book that's all that? Like, is it just gonna be 200 pages of that? <laughs> <laughs> Because there's quite a bit going on there that I'm... Right, I want to see how it all knits together. It, it requires patience because it hasn't really knit together yet. There's, like, mm-hmm. a couple of, like, like, you recognize a little bit of, like, the alienness, but there's, it has not come around yet. And it's, like, it's going to be really interesting when it does. I like that it shows that pseudo-Alex and Cleo are, like, perfectly comfortable and capable of looking after themselves, just the two of them. They're not bothering to, like... They could have done this as kind of like the Walking Dead thing where each season it's like, and then they go and they find some more people that they think are going to be helpful, but then they betray him in some way and then they have to start over again. And it's like, that's really boring. But just being like, no, we're good on our own. We got this. Life fixed what's not broken. Yeah. Yeah. And so you just see them working in tandem pretty well. Um, right. Like setting up the trampoline so she can get over the fence and then land into the bouncy yeah. castle. And I was just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I liked that. So she... She basically lures the the shape-shifting aliens, and then they've set up, like, uh, she has, like, Molotov cocktails, and they've set up yeah. some other stuff, and she has her little alien ray gun, and then she she runs, and she leaps over a fence, and then, and then she falls into, like, a bounce house like it's a stunt double scene or something. <laughs> it's clearly a girl in a wig. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the um, alien design of, like, I, I, I described it in my notes as uh, it looks as if the tripods from the War of the Worlds and an octopus got it on. <laughs> they look like. Right? <laughs> it, rather than like the kind of somewhat headless looking statues of the other, the way the other ones look. Right. Where they look almost headless. You're like, oh wait, that is a head. It's just very small. <laughs> <laughs> they have a head. They have no neck. <laughs> well, their whole head is a neck. <laughs> and it's it's really nice how we get to have Cleo with her really like upbeat can do personality in the middle of all this and like it it really helps like tonally keeping it from being like yeah we we talked about this where you can have like an upsetting subject matter but not have it be relentlessly yeah bleak yeah and this is not relentlessly bleak Mm-mm. there's there's always a there's always an underpinning of like hope and love it's just sometimes it gets it gets grayed out because things get rough so these flashback like the he just gets these little blips of like when cleo's first born and like alex holding her for the first time Um, yeah i thought that was pretty perfect because he is essentially a new parent yeah to her so then he's getting the memories of like like, it's like, yeah, you're terrified. So was real, Alex. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, here's this tiny human you now are in charge of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have fun keeping her alive because she seems intent to not be alive. <laughs> Which is how babies work. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't stop. Like, there's so many memories of her walking up like, I just fell over three boxes when she's like, walking up with her bike and all bloody. He's just like, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. If you ever plan on becoming a parent, know that for the first 
good number of years your kid is actively trying to kill themselves. Yes, they really are. <laughs> Me and my brother, each of us, when we were like one and a half or two years old, ran out into traffic. I ran out in front of a truck and Ian ran in front of a UPS truck. Hmm. Yeah. And my mom was just like, you guys just wanted to go back. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's good that, that like we still get to watch him have this arc of kind of learning to be who he is like it you could have just been like and then at the end of the first book that was kind of like all the development he needed now he just kind of is but it's nice that it's like it's not that simple nope because nothing's that simple harder you think as it time goes on yeah yeah especially if you're also kind of getting their memories in there too so it's just like who am i yeah what's going on which is also how our what our villain experiences as well but we'll get there yeah, and you see him, like, even though Pseudo-Alex doesn't have, like, he's got this clunky vocabulary because he's not used to being, like, a I person. I don't use and... contractions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you still you still see him doing some of the classic dad things of, like, you know, what were you doing? I was so worried for you, sort of, like, y- you get those scenes, but there's that but they're stilted because of... I'd say that even when he's upset, he gets even more stilted. Yeah. It's like... Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's like he's just downloaded additional, like, parenting emotions and doesn't know how to incorporate them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I always enjoy mysterious figures observing, so, like, having this hooded figure, like... I said there. hooded figure in my notes and then <laughs> ch- ch- and then uh, put HF. <laughs> Even though I, um, I knew who it was. It's an, it's an uncanny hooded figure. It's a UHF. Shout out to Weird Al. Do you think we can get him on the podcast? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a very nice man, but probably not. Maybe if we read a book series his daughter liked, then he'd get on. That's how. That's why he did a voice on uh, My Little Pony, because his daughter liked My Little Pony, and he's like, okay, I'll do this. That sounds like good dad material. <laughs> so I think, I think we'll just wait to touch on the, the woman in the... Uh, alien ship later yeah it, then... it expands more later yeah there's like two pages in the first chapter right so. she's sitting on the table and then there's lots of her in the room yeah like, what chapter two cleo notices that pseudo alex wearing a love and rockets t-shirt is acting different since their last battle more protective and less fun uh once back at their library safe house cleo sneaks out to get celebratory snacks on her way back she takes a side route to avoid an alien patrol and falls breaking her ankle Uh, When she looks up, she discovers a vast field of pits filled with some sort of liquid and a large amorphous alien watching over it. A small sluggy alien comes over and heals Cleo's ankle. Uh, She watches a new shapeshifter arise from the field and head towards the big alien and realizes the large one is their mother? Meanwhile, the hooded figure hitches a ride towards Cleo and confirms that they are not Cleo's family when the driver asks. So we've narrowed it down if you haven't figured out who it is yet. Uh, Finally, the scenes aboard the alien ship uh, show the captive woman being granted comprehension of the alien language with promise of more change soon. Oh, this does the this does the the Fablehaven thing where each chapter has like a little image that like slowly changes. Yeah, I, so. I thought of you when I saw that. I was like, that should make you happy. <laughs> it's uh, so like each chapter break has a picture of uh, a backpack and like a walkie-talkie, and then a picture of Cleo missing and stuff. And then there's this little like bits of uh, pink organic material that over the course of the five chapters like start to envelop the entirety of the picture and so yeah 
just the little flashback memories that pseudo Alex has are just so like, I love how cartoonish they are. Like not in like an (laughs) unbelievable way, but just in like a, just like kids are, they're just living cartoons. And she's all standing up in a boat. Ah! And he's like, will you sit down? (laughs) You can just tell by his face he's about to have a heart attack. (laughs) Do you think that um, the kids from Dollbones would come hang out in their little library safe yeah. house and like <laughs> yeah they'll play continue the with their story <laughs> i like yeah because he's already like shook he's shook by like the memories and like the close call and all of that so then she's all like all right well let's get some victory snacks he's like no we're gonna stay here yeah. she goes, well how about we have a dance party he's like we just want dark and quiet and right he's just like ah <laughs> Yeah, it's like, why was it fine before, and now it's... Now it's not. It's like, well, now I'm having memories of your father, okay? <laughs> and then whenever he is, like, by himself, he starts to, like, he starts to, like, change out of his Alex form. He starts yeah. to look a little bit more amorphous and necky. Yeah, yeah, he gets, gets all lumpy and no face. Yeah. Which is, he usually is when he's asleep. Yeah. Uh, she goes and she picks up snacks at like the quickie mart or whatever yes and she's heading back and she's just like singing and throwing the like the cheese doodles into her mouth or whatever i was kind of like well i think you know to be more careful than this why are you being so loud yeah you saw some patrols not that far away yeah you're like i'm right here yeah i think what we're seeing here is kind of like they're taking two extremes like pseudo alex has gotten a little too like cautious and she's a little too confident and they they're a buddy cop movie right exactly (laughs) (laughs) he's like i'm too old for this shit (laughs) i'm really glad that you were the one to uh synopsize this because my description description of the alien was a big thing in little things (laughs) i just found this in my notes and was like that's so stupid (laughs) i have a better descriptor later but it was interesting when it um when it's sucking on her. Oh, did you say that it healed her yes. ankle? Okay. Yeah, when it's sucking on her head, it kind of just keeps doing that until she shouts out stop in their language. And it's like, oh, okay. And, like, pulls yeah. off her head. And I was like, oh. Or it, it gets off her head. I don't mean it pulls her head off her shoulders. I described that weird. Which is interesting because usually if she's using the alien language, they do the symbology of it. They don't do the translation. And so. Hmm. Maybe they wanted us to know what, it, what, what she was saying. Yeah. Like, if you, they used it one time where it was clear it was for a swear. <laughs> well, now, how how does she know the word stop in the language? Like, the only word that we know that she knows is the activation word for the gun, but that's not because she knows what the word is. That's because she just recreated the sound until it worked. I think it's because uh, of the, what, what it's doing to her. So it's part of her transition. That's, like, our first sign of, like, yeah. oh... Oh, before the more obvious stuff starts happening. Yeah, I was exhausted when I read this the first time through. Like, I got the whole thing, but I'm picking up on more of the, like, subtleties now. This is a very preamble chapter because then we're going to get into the, the mother and all of that next. Yeah. So. Chapter three. Cleo stays by the pits all night uh, observing and making plans on how to destroy the whole situation. Uh, she returns home just before pseudo-Alex awakes so he doesn't notice her disappearance. They head into town and watch from the rooftops until it's safe to head down and stock up on munitions. As they do, Cleo asks pseudo-Alex if maybe there's an alternative to fighting the aliens, like if they could get them to feel sympathetic towards humans like he did. 
he doesn't think there's much chance of that due to their thousands of years of enslavers and conquerors. They find a trail of cheese curls leading to a room plastered with photos of Cleo and a dead shapeshifter in a puddle of orange blood. Alex leads her away, but Cleo wants to know what it means. She recognizes the photo as being uh, taken on the ferry from the first book, and she thought that things with the shipmaster and all of that nonsense were over. Meanwhile, the hooded figure and their driver are attacked by shapeshifters. The figure reveals herself to be a shapeshifter who can't change back uh, from a human form. But yeah, so she's in human form, but she still has her little, like, clay claw, and she can't, like, fix either of those two things. She's just stuck the way she is. She's the one who prepared the room for Cleo and is now very close to finding her. And then on the ship, the woman proves to be anything but a model prisoner and would rather be dead than an experiment. So my favorite character is this goofy heron that keeps visiting the, like, the pools and drinking the water. And Cleo's just like, do you, literally anything else besides drinking this toxic alien swill, please? And he's just like, yeep, yeep, yeep. <laughs> Um, I liked the really obvious line of the cheese curls all along the floor because it reminds me of this joke in uh, Family Guy when they were trying to catch, uh, like, the villain of the show is James Woods, the actor. Okay. And he does the voice of himself. And they were trying to catch him once, so they set up this, like, goofy trap in an alleyway and let it with candy. And he's walking around, ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> like, the whole way until he gets caught in the like, trap. <laughs> So I saw that. Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs> um, Cleo approaches the mom, and it does this really creepy, like clay face, human face thing that just kind of yeah. like sticks out of a middle portion of it, and was yeah. not a fan. It's kind of like it's kind of like in the very first like original Nightmare on Elm Street, where Freddy like comes up out of the wall while Nancy's sleeping, like right over. It's a very iconic image. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is what that reminded me of. And I'm like, oh, gross. There's a little flashback memory of uh, of Cleo playing dead when she's like eight or nine yes, or something. That's not funny. No, you don't do that. No, I was like, I'm sure you got in trouble for that. Ugh. And you get to the scene where the hooded figure is attacked because I need to figure out what's going. Because she like cries out in pain in the previous chapter as well, um, but she's just like getting in the elevator. I thought it was just her conscience. Or- yeah. For why she didn't kill Grace, because Grace had been nothing but helpful and nice to her. Yeah. It, so, I think it, she start. that's why she also tells her, like, you need to go find somewhere else to be, because there's going to be more of them coming. And I love that when she hears, just like, oh, this girl and her dad came through, and she offered us snacks, and she's like, God, oh, it's Cleo. <laughs> she just knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like, it, we have the parallel of watching the hooded figure have these like these moments moments of a human conscience and uh pseudo alex having these memories and it's like the it's kind of like a fake it till you make it sort of thing but inadvertently yeah and so we're seeing it happen on like both sides of the morality line yeah oh uh and uh, back back in the flashback where she uh but sure. uh, she tries to run, like, boss man gets distracted, so she's like, I'm gonna run away, and ends up with, like, an alien knife hand gut in her guts, mm-hmm. and then she's attached to, like, the little, little things that are, uh, repairing her. Yes. And then, he, uh, this boss man demonstrates that now she's pretty much indestructible. Yeah. By having that done, because he slices her freaking arm open. Yes. And it hurts, but then it knits up back immediately. Yes. And then you kind of think, oh, Cleo's had this done. Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
Yikes. <laughs> so, this is actually a very long superhero origin story, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The hooded figure gets a new hoodie, and it's more alien-y, and... More fashion forward. She throws it out, throws out her old yeah. one, just like whatever. Oh, and Pseudohawk still has his uh his like shovel knife thing, but it's only the like the head and like a foot of the the because the uh the main shaft broke, but he's still like he's still wielding that in like every He's like, No, this is a good weapon. Right. Okay, I'm gonna keep this. I can just like, replace... I have proficiency in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good with a bow staff. <laughs> Cleo, what the flip are you doing? <laughs> He's not Napoleon Dynamite. Oh my gosh. That's... Okay. That would be great if they... If, like, book three, like, they find some other of the shapeshifters that are kind of on their side, and then they show them a bunch of movies, and then each one decides to, like, take after something that they saw in a movie. <laughs> so you have one of them that's Napoleon, and then you have another one that's, like, Scarface or something. <laughs> And randomly there's Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's actually really impressive. How did you... Okay. All right. <laughs> Chapter four. Pseudo-Alex fortifies the library and uh, is exhausted, partially due to the constant flood of memories uh, from Cleo's child- childhood um, that are making him more and more uh, fearful. Though, looking at the first page here when he is uh, upgrading the library's defenses, I think he could use some help from uh the dragon from extraordinary who's like with the home renovation and stuff i think yeah i think that would have helped what was his name it was something great it was like frederick was that yeah, it yeah it was something like that yeah i mean we can ask cassie <laughs> well, i um, first thought it was george but that's not it's right. not george no i think i really think it's frederick anyways cleo uh changes a bandage on her arm and finds herself bleeding orange she's bleeding orange <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She sneaks out and talks to the mother alien, asking why she's different now, and if maybe she's no longer all human. She's confused about why the mother shapeshifters uh, don't attack her, and she wonders if things can be different between the humans and the aliens. Um, the hooded figure sneaks in and sets up surveillance in the library. The days pass, and the figure watches and periodically sneaks in, taking Cleo's issues of extraordinary... <laughs> Cleo confronts Alex about the lockdown and their low rations, even though she's been sneaking out to bond with the mother alien by showing it music, feeding it candy, and asking big questions. She also she puts drawings up on she it. She does. Yeah. <laughs> it's her big mom fridge. <laughs> the mom fridge. <laughs> My mom would get so angry if I put, like, a drawing affixed to her. What are you doing? Really? I don't think my mom would stop doing whatever she was doing if I did that. Oh, yeah, well, if I did, I'm sure she'd think I'm putting a kick-me sign on her or something. Cleo also notices that Pseudo-Alex still hasn't fixed her alien gun, which broke during the first chapter's battle sequence. Uh, the hooded figure finally reveals herself to Cleo and Pseudo-Alex. She is the alien Cleo fought in the ice cave and has yeah. been... Bun able, Ben unable. She's to... a bunny. Yeah. <laughs> She's a bunny with a hook hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the sound they make. Standing on three other bunnies in a trench coat. <laughs> that's why she's hooded. <laughs> that's so stupid. Anyway, go ahead. 
she is the alien Cleophon in the ice cave, cave and has been unable to change into either a fully human or fully alien state due to her broken arm. She tells Cleo that the gun is only jammed and Pseudo-Alex could fix it at any time but is afraid to let Cleo have it back. She also reveals to Pseudo-Alex that Cleo has been drugging his water to keep him asleep so she can go visit the alien mother. The hooded one is surprised to hear that the mother healed Cleo, but things are cut short when a squad of shapeshifters breaks in. The hooded one takes Cleo away, leaving Pseudo-Alex to fight the army. On the spaceship, uh, the prisoner finds solace in her religion until she is modified to be more complacent and taken to a planet that the aliens are in the process of enslaving. Okay. Is that the end of the... That's the end of my summary part. Okay. So So this is like my favorite villain trope. When they don't even have to do anything villainous. They just hold a mirror up to the the heroes and go, this is what y'all been doing. Right. And you're keeping it from each other. And bam! (laughs) (laughs) And I just like being observant. Right. And like, no, I don't, I just really like it. Because you can't really argue against it because like yeah I did, her biggest I did weapon is the truth exactly yeah. <laughs> like they don't have to really manipulate anybody or anything just go like oh oh you're gonna love it oh it gets better it gets better she is literally <laughs> she sets up the security like these security cameras over she's literally watching the feed in and a eating movie popcorn. theater yeah and eating popcorn yeah it's great yeah yeah <laughs> she's just like ooh, this is gonna be interesting <laughs> like mm. oh like how like no when you when you sometimes when you see stuff that and someone says something particularly like crummy to someone else, and you're like, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> if it's like not even someone you like particularly, so it's not all like, oh, why'd you say that to them? Yeah. He's kind of upset too. You just kind of like people that you equally don't like. Yeah. Like getting at each other. Yeah. So it's like kind of this like level of delight watching it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like that uh, that gif. Uh, it's from like some like schoolyard rap battle or something. And then oh, that guy falling over. Yeah, and then the guy and just the guy goes, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that they always use I think I think I've seen that famously used when um Draco Malfoy is first introducing himself to Harry Potter. It's like I'm Draco Malfoy you'll need to know who the right sword are and he goes, I think I can work out who the right sword is for myself and like doesn't shake his hand and then it's like Turn down for what? And the guys are like <laughs> We Here's where we get more of those flashbacks of Cleo trying to kill herself. Not like, not in like a suicide way, just in a kid's... A careless child. Kids have no understanding of mortality yet. (laughs) Uh, I like the one where she's like missing a couple of teeth and she has her finger up to the the wall socket and she's just looking like, hey, guess what I'm going to (laughs) do? And she's missing teeth because they haven't grown in yet. She's like right, a very it's the baby tiny, teeth, yeah. She's a very tiny baby. About to stick her finger in there with this like, look how smart I am look on her face. I just love it so much. And doesn't she like walk up with a bike and she's clearly injured and like the wheels all bent? Yeah, she's like, she's like, <laughs> right. I totally took that jump, but you're going to need to reset my handlebars. <laughs> and she's like bleeding from her mouth. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, I remember uh, we used to watch like Full House a lot. Sorry for the Full House reference, everybody. But like, I watched every episode. It was a popular show when I was a kid. Like, it was new and like would air, and I'd I'd watch it. But there was an episode where um, the uh, Olsen twins character Michelle was uh, learning to ride a bike. Yeah. And Joey was helping her, and she falls once, and it's like. I'm never doing this again. You said you'd hold on. And like yelling at Joey and like runs off all upset. And my mom got so angry because she like was like, you weren't like that when you were learning to ride your bike. 
you just got up again and got back on. So I'm somewhere between Michelle <laughs> and Cleo. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be showing up right. waiting from every orifice and going like, you need to reset my handlebars. But I'm not going to be like a little wuss yeah. running off and crying because yeah. I fell once. Yeah. Oh, like all the stuff where we find out um, she's Arab. And uh, I was just like, oh, it seems like they did some research on this. Instead of like, let's just throw some tropes at this. So it shows what thoughtful writers and like... Right. And, and drawers. I'm an idiot. And artists they are. <laughs> right. They're not just like, praise Allah. That's good enough, right? right? <laughs> no. They are like so far from lazy. You know? It's just, it's, I wish more people were thoughtful when they did, you know, yeah. instead of like, okay, here's my inclusion of someone who's different. Right. Where are my ally points? You know? Right. It's just... And the thing is, it's not even, like, you don't have to, you don't have to, like major in the you just have to like take a little bit of time they probably you, you could probably do all the relevant the notes research at the end and they did they they did speak to yeah 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 it's like you, they you did, can they did yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's just like people think it's like oh it's so difficult it's like it's not you just have to try a little bit right you know ask a couple of people or read an article or a, mm-hmm. a you know a segment from a book or something it's a know. lazily reading wikipedia once like five years ago <laughs> and then being like i'm pretty sure this is what it said yeah <laughs> i like how yeah. uh you know she's not on earth so she has no real way of knowing the actual direction to face for her prayer so she just she it's basically like the she says i uh, in my bedroom i face to face kaba i faced the door i guess seeing as this is quite the opposite of home <laughs> how about this way and she turns around and it's like a I think in this situation, my God will understand if I make a good right. faith effort. <laughs> yeah. And she says that about her hair covering as well. Yeah. And she's like, I don't have that. He's going to understand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing my best here. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was like, I, I thought it came across respectful and I wish uh, more people showed an effort in that arena. Yeah. He just pointed at the offending book where it, he clearly just read Wikipedia. And not even well, because I was able to disprove him with Wikipedia. <laughs> Boy, that's awkward. Yeah. It's like when you o- you only read the part of the Wikipedia article that's above the table of contents. Oh, right. <laughs> you know how it always has, like, the summary and then the actual explanation. Okay, do you remember? Of course you remember, but that episode where um, I mentioned the Troubles and you had no idea what it was. Yes. And I remember I was even going to do some research so I could give an example. With it. I was just hoping you knew what it was. And I started to read the Wikipedia page and it said, background, 1609. And I went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but the difference is you weren't writing a book about it. Right. I wasn't writing about the troubles. Oh. No, I literally said nope out loud. <laughs> like, that's a lot. <laughs> oh, I had another thing. Yeah, I, I put, I say, like, the grunts show up and HF drags Cleo to a secondary location, which made me think of, um, of, <laughs> of John Mulaney. No way, sister. You're not getting me to no secondary location. <laughs> I'm excited to reread this in print form because there are a couple of like multi-page spreads that i, I, I think it's lost yeah, yeah. I, I think we lost a bit by not having it like side by side but on the other hand we got a free advanced copy so i'm right. not gonna complain no 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 <laughs> but yeah I, I do i would like this in the print format uh five and we're already to the last chapter yeah 
sick action sequences of <laughs> pseudo Alex fending <laughs> off aliens. <laughs> but he's eventually overwhelmed and flooded with memories, including those of him first meeting Cleo during the invasion. These memories give him the strength to keep fighting and eventually escape. Meanwhile, the hooded one brings Cleo to the alien mother and tells Cleo to make it fix her. Cleo doesn't know how to do that and instead attacks the hooded one. I thought she attacked her just to give her an injury so then the thing would have like a baseline to start with. Because they weren't healing her because she wasn't actually, didn't have like an open wound. So that's why Cleo attacked her to give her some wounds. So then the little, little things come up and be all like sucky and, and healy. All sucky and healy. Yeah, well, yeah, the small creatures envelop the hooded one, and Cleo heads, she starts to head off, but the, the hooded figure catches up to her, and Cleo tells her to stop hurting people she cares about and just kill her instead, uh, at which point the hooded one pushes Cleo into the one of the pits. The shapeshifters attack the hooded one, uh, who uses some C4 found in Cleo's supplies to blow up the mother, the shapeshifters, and herself. Pseudo-Alex arrives, and a weakened Cleo opens her glowing wound underwater to signal to him where she is. He pulls her out and uh, admits that he doesn't know how to save her, at which point the small aliens revive her. A few days later, the pair prepare to set out, uh, now joined with a small army of shapeshifters that remain loyal to the mother alien, who seems to be healing. And then finally on the alien planet, the prisoner uh, woman leads a rebellion against the shapeshifters, setting the stage for something, I'm sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> I was like, I want book three. Yeah. Right now. I, I liked that there was finally a payoff for that stupid bird. Because while it was your favorite character, I was like, what is this? I was like, there better be a payoff. It wasn't my favorite then, character until the end. And, and he looks and extra he looks derpy. Really der- at, yeah. He opens his wings. And then the little, yeah, the little sluggos fall tinier. out. Well, I thought those <laughs> ones in particular, the even tinier ones that fall from the bird's wings, looked like the scrubbing bubbles from the commercial. Oh, the yeah. Commercial. So I was like, the scrubbing bubbles save Cleo. Yeah. But he just looks super goofy right before he does <laughs> that. He's just like, <laughs> does this help? <laughs> She's good at animals. Like the little foxes from Extraordinary and then this bird. I wonder if this means if it's like like their army now. Like are they gonna like like snacks and dance parties and That's what I'm saying. I think they're people. Good. I think they should teach them how to like live their life and then do like lots of yeah dances and, and, and movies and all of that. You guys um, might like some music we don't like. And that's okay. One of them's just like, I'm really only into jazz. Okay, I guess we'll, we'll find you a saxophone. <laughs> um, and it just keeps playing. <laughs> That's not even a jazz song. Um, <laughs> just the first saxophone thing I thought. I yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm reading the scene where she attacks the hooded one as like she says that she has an idea of how to make it work, and yeah. then uses, the, but then uses that as her opening to try and escape. Not that she was actually trying to help. I mean, she can escape and have that happen at the same time. Yeah. Gosh, if only we had the writer on hand to <laughs> ask for clarification. And and also, um, she's like, well, maybe it's not healing you because you're not actually broken. There's nothing wrong with you. This is just yeah. how you are now. And she's just like, Haha, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, not even like that little, like... <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's like, just... <laughs> not even like that troubled moment that some right. villains have of like... Maybe, maybe they're right. <laughs> maybe they're right. Let's just even have a moment of that just goes like... <laughs> No. <laughs> Gay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Cleo's right. 
I like that pseudo Alex breaks out of the library by using the head of one of the other shapeshifters. <laughs> just does a sledgehammer through the wall and just like bashes it and then makes a hole. Sledgehammer. These sequences with the the woman from the alien ship are like super cool, and I'm just like, okay, yeah. Where is it? Like, I'm not like I'm not disappointed that I feel like there should have been a payoff here. I just I just want the payoff. Is it? Is it? Do you think that like she's gonna show up with that army to save Earth? The army of people? Yeah. I don't know because. Well, why not? Well, because the these scenes are like they say that they're a long time ago, and I have no idea how long time ago it is. So if it's it like takes a while to travel that far, right? And it could be, or not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like the so the very ending is a two page spread, and I wish that I had had that yeah. full effect at once because I was like, huh? Huh? Yeah, me oh. too. Then he's on the other oh! side. Like, ah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Funny how things are more effective once you get the full picture. I really like the page of uh, Cleo floating in the water with the uh, the like shapeshifters in progress. It's very uh, it's very in utero. Yeah, um, it's very Nirvana. <laughs> it's a very heart shaped box. <laughs> That's actually how every Nirvana song starts. <laughs> Have you seen that Vine or something where this kid? Oh, I don't know if it was a kid, but some guy like. Drops a shovel on uh Oh ice, yeah, he splits a ding ding and then yeah. cuts to the ding 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 it's just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw it. Then there's also another one. I, that's like my favorite kind of humor. That's <laughs> a thing. And there's one with that um universal do 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 and then someone falling off a table going thump thump <laughs> Maybe we should talk about the book, but I think we're mostly done. The bird gets so drippy. It it starts to become like the same sort of like clay material as the the shapeshifters. It's just real drippy now. It's a drippy bird. Well, I mean that's that's basically it. Like not in like a bad way. No, it's just, no, it's no. just not a very long book, and uh, it's action. It yeah, it's it's action. And it's very obvious that there is there's a, a next big thing like right on the horizon for those characters and so yeah it's like i'm still i'm still good to read more like as soon as it's out i'll pay for it even yeah <laughs> we haven't paid for these yet no <laughs> <laughs> so hello fellow kids has been brought to you by the letter l yeah why'd you choose l life form okay Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> Been recorded in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> so you hear the we don't even have cheese it. <laughs> yeah, he's he hangs out on the freezer now. Yeah. It's like his favorite thing. He will stand on the vacuum cleaner and scream at me because he wants to go upstairs and be on the freezer. So uh, for next month, we're going to be reading Small Spaces by Catherine Arden. And that'll release on the first of the month as normal. So stay tuned next for an interview with uh matt and cassie and it won't suck <laughs> you didn't see the shit eating grins on our faces when we said that. uh hello fellow kids is hosted by amara and josh and produced by josh music provided by ben ash visit him at benash.com if you'd like to contact us please do so at hfkpodcast at gmail.com or hfkpodcast on twitter or instagram we are on goodreads and you can listen to us anywhere that you listen to podcasts basically tell your friends leave us reviews be honest and uh, make us not suck. 
Okay, so we are here with Matt Merrill-Lowry and Cassie Anderson, the creators of Life Formed once again. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Um, how are things going since we last talked, Cassie? It's been like, like what, three weeks or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm about that. Things are good. Yeah, how about you? Um, I'm all right. Yeah? Yeah. Just, just all right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry <laughs> no it's fine i'm uh so i'm in a book club because i have uh, a few years ago i found out that i had a friend that hadn't finished a novel since she was in like middle school and i was like okay so we're gonna fix that so oh we started gosh. a book club and it it's, works pretty well except i didn't realize until yesterday that we're going to be meeting tonight and i hadn't read the 200 ish pages necessary oh. for the meeting oh. <laughs> um, and it's a very dense uh, sci-fi book about uh, terraforming gone wrong and it creates uh, very smart space spiders. What? What yeah. book is this? It's called Children of Time. Ooh, that sounds really good. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, but it's like, it's it's very tough to read yeah. all in one sitting. It's yeah. not like a, a breeze through novel. It's not a breeze like uh, Life Formed Volume 2, Hearts and Minds. <laughs> <laughs> Check out that sick transition. (laughs) (laughs) So as we're recording this, the book hasn't released yet, but it will release the the day we put this up. How are you guys feeling like on the, on the cusp of release? How does it, um, are you feeling good about, you know, what's coming next since you've already done it before? Or is there, there a new challenge of like, now there are expectations of what we do. And I think, I don't know. I feel a little bit more like I know what I'm doing. Um, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Cass, uh, now that Cassie's got the experience uh, twice already, um, she's probably in a better spot. But no, I think that we kind of talked about it, I don't even know, a few months ago, maybe when we got the final files all handed in and stuff that we were both like super happy with the book. And so even even if nobody else liked it, uh, <laughs> that we were totally happy with what we'd done and felt like we took it in an interesting direction. So I don't know. I feel like when it's when you've got when you're happy with what you've got, putting it out there, you know, like it it feels easier to support it or it feels less uh, less like a challenge or something. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really exciting. It's cool having like a sequel to something we've already worked on come out. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of what the reception is like this time compared to last time. Cause hopefully there are some people who've read the first book and who are excited for the second book. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. We were, we were talking about that when we were reading the, like some sequels stand alone better than others. And that doesn't necessarily make it better or worse. It just kind of is what it needs to be. And this one, it's like, if you don't read the first one, I think you're going to be, pretty lost yeah um, yeah like when the hooded figure reveals who they are you're like cool who's this so, <laughs> yeah yeah you're like yeah. Oh, sweet reveal but what <laughs> yes yeah you can, it's it's pretty challenging or i found it challenging writing wise to like because you want to be able to build on what we did but also not take up too much space like bringing people up to speed and stuff so i figured with at least one of our core audiences i feel like which is like the younger set i see like my daughters reread stuff so much more than more than i'm able to for sure and so i was kind of hoping that that will lead to um 
at least a group of a group of folks who have it fresh fresh in their heads. Um, so yeah, it'll it will certainly be interesting. Plus, it helps that you guys are working in the kind of you know 180, 200 page range, so there's not as much that needs to be like refreshed as if you were working on like a like a 500 page epic or something. Yeah. And then it's like <laughs> totally, you know, there's so much that you could like forget, but this is it. Everything is there that needs to be there, and it's a lot more compact. So yeah, I and that brings up actually. So this is right around the same like page count. Um, I would say that there's. I don't know, I didn't notice quite as many, like, extended sequences without dialogue as the first one, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Not, like, significantly less, but it felt like a little bit, like, was there any sort of, like, did you feel any sort of, that that you wanted to keep it, like, you don't, you don't want it to be significantly longer or shorter than the other, that it just kind of, like, they needed to kind of exist in the same kind of amount of space or did you did it just happen to work out like you finishing you're like hey cool that's i guess how long my graphic novels are that's good to know <laughs> right um, <laughs> i mean i i guess sorry i feel like i'm talking a lot but cassie can uh, come in on this one for sure but, her, her, her own whole episode that's true very true <laughs> i mean like i feel like every time i could and she, she can attest to this like i could do like 400 pages easy um but <laughs> We've got to like. There's got to be like the balance of what's actually doable for her, um, right. and getting and maintaining some kind of schedule and all that kind of stuff, um, uh, and, and not destroying uh, not destroying her as well. So, <laughs> so I think that, uh, and then also I think just from a series perspective, wanting to keep them relatively, you know, the same, um, yeah. the same length, uh, but. They look nice on a shelf next to each other. Right, right. right. <laughs> and you're not you're not gonna see the like Harry Potter creep of like you look yeah. at Sorcerer's Stone and then you look at Order of the Phoenix and you're like, well, you got ambitious. I mean, yes. This is a book too, so. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a you know, it's a lot easier to and less time consuming to write it than it is to draw it. So yeah, I was gonna say yeah, a, a script page and a fully inked colored shaded all of that page to two completely different realms yeah for sure <laughs> well it's easy you know you just put panel one cassie says this panel two alex says this and then uh you're good right like that was cool Cass, can you have that done like in half hour you good pages right. eight to 15 fight scene yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, and we're talking now about, like, future books and stuff, and, I mean, to speak to you, the Harry Potter uh, scope creep or whatever, like, it's, uh, I I do have, like, a bigger ending in mind that, you know, depending on what we get to do, um, the ending could be, like, a couple books, sort of, so it's, because um, you do want to, like, you do want to have room to breathe, but you also want to be able to get a lot of movement and character building and stuff in. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of balance and, um, a lot of different, uh, factors, but I do think writing wise, like, I don't think that I, I've got a process now where I'm kind of going page by page and, and, um, unlike the first book when I didn't know as much what I was doing as I go now, I know what like my page count is. I'm never at a point where I've got like 
plot that I don't have tied to how many pages, a, you know, a scene's going to take up or something. So, um, I'm trying to, uh, make sure I'm keeping track of that. So, and I think on this, I, you know, not too much ended up on the cutting room for writing wise. <laughs> and now this was supposed to be our first question, but, uh, we got a little sidetrack. Um, Cleo, as we see from, uh, being overheard on the radio and, all of that. She's basically defined by uh, junk food. Um, what are your favorite snacks? And this is not a joke. We need new recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> snacks are literally probably what I live for, like snacks and cookies. Um, <laughs> oh man, I love those like white cheddar puff Cheetos. Those are good. Um, <laughs> any cereal. Um, if you want to go healthier, apples and peanut butter is always a great choice. Um, oh no thanks <laughs> <laughs> yeah junk food snacks yeah. oh have you had there are these like uh i forget what brand they are maybe snyder's they have these like pretzel bits that are honey mustard i think oh, yeah, those are so them. good those are really good interesting <laughs> Uh, I've been baking a lot of chocolate chip cookies lately and like, I feel like I finally have it nailed. So, um, there's, that's a prime thing for me. <laughs> so you have uh, a career to fall back on. I do. Yes. <laughs> a, a lucrative career in small batch chocolate chip cookie baking. Hey, those are hard to master. Like... In Portland, we call that artisan, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Does it have Jacob's and sea salt on it? Then hundred yes. percent. Yes. I go with the smoked sea salt. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> yes. um, organic gluten free smoked yeah. sea salt. Yeah. <laughs> free range. <laughs> it's the only place in a cookie you can go gluten free and have it taste good. So, <laughs> salt. Yeah, like my new thing. If I'm not trying, well, cookies aren't healthy. But um, if I'm not trying to be healthy or trying to be less healthy, uh, I noticed that like if you eat. Uh, pretzel sticks and peanut butter M&Ms together. It's super Ooh, delicious. Okay, okay. Oh my god. So, I kid you not, the day I got my braces off, I was like, I want peanut M&Ms because I haven't had peanut M&Ms in years. And I developed an addiction after that. And so now my go-to like candy snack, it's a very specific ratio of four peanut M&Ms immediately followed by uh, six pretzel sticks, and then you repeat the nice. process until you die. <laughs> and it is the greatest combination I have ever found. Because yeah. the sweet makes you want a little bit of salt, and then the salt makes you want a little bit of sweet, and you just go back and forth yeah. forever. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, you guys wrote a comic. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh... <laughs> now, I remember when we were talking about the first one, and you guys were you know, knee deep in the second production that you said that, uh, volume two is going to be, a uh, have like a no country for old men influence. Yes. Um, compared to the first ones. Uh, what'd you compare the first one to? Uh, probably like Terminator or something. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would suspect. So I was just curious if you could talk a little bit more about that, not necessarily specifically No Country for Old Men, but like what you wanted to draw from that would make this a different entity, because this definitely doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like the first book again. You know, yeah. it's, it, it, it is very much its own story, its own atmosphere, its own mood in a lot of different ways. And so I was curious where you want where you drew from to get that as opposed to just more of what you'd already started. 
Yeah. So I guess since we're going, we're, we're pretty, we'll be spoilery anyway. Not, not that it really matters. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to, let's see. So there was definitely the, I, I wanted to have it be a little bit more of a cat and mouse thing with uh, Cleo and the character we call the teenager who's in the first book as well. Um, but who is the one that kind of comes after Cleo in book two. Um, and I think, so there was that aspect, but I think what I really wanted to do was like hang out with Cleo and Alex and hang out with Cleo and find a way to do that within the context of the story. So, um, and not necessarily have a, a ton of action, I guess. Um, I mean, I think it's in there, but I wanted it to be really like spend more time with the characters now that we've set them up, I guess, um, and you know, built them up in book two, uh, or sorry, in book one. I kind of took, you know, I had like the notion of um, hanging out in like spaces that you like and want to like return to, um, and that is sort of where. I stuck the uh, spoiler alert um, big alien creature that Cleo comes across that is sort of uh, what would you call it it's stationary it doesn't it doesn't move it doesn't speak it's uh, basically like a, a foil for Cleo to sort of talk to and uh, reflect her emotions against and all that so I had so I run around my neighborhood, which is North Portland, and uh, yes, I see of, the Instagram posts. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and so one of the places I I go through is a weird sewage drainage field, and it's basically like these big pools. It's it's where the creature is in in book two, and so I always thought that was a weird, cool space. And like if you were a kid, it would be sort of attractive to you in its strangeness so i was i was influenced by that and figuring out like what would happen there and i think like at some point on my runs because you know you get kind of in your head and your subconscious is going i was just like oh there'd be like aliens coming out of these pools and um and so that was sort of the genesis of that part of the idea and and then I felt like we needed to have, you know, some danger on the outside of that. That was um, the teenager sort of trying to ruin this, um, you know, new Cleo's relationship with uh, Alien Alex and um, and the sort of life that she's built for herself. Because the whole point, I guess, or the whole setup is that she's pretty comfortable, right, in this new existence of like they go run their attacks and then they come back to the library and they uh, – you know, hang out and like, it's, it's almost like fun for her and, and sort of without, um, it's not without consequence, but like it, you know, it's, it's safe. And yeah. so it need, there needed to be some danger. So that plus when she starts, uh, you know, her, she hurts herself and, um, her blood starts sort of glowing. Like I wanted to get some like stuff in there that, um, sort of, put her new world at risk if that makes sense that was it i mean it was mostly just trying to find ways for them to hang out while still propelling the plot forward and um you know showing different sides of their character yeah i i agree with what you're saying about the like the locations and stuff i i've definitely like felt that before and um 
the fact that they're like hold up the library one of the first books that we read for the podcast was uh called doll bones by holly black and at one point the characters go and they spend the night like they break into the library and spend the night there and they just are like running around the stacks and like mm-hmm. like riding on the carts and all that sort of stuff and it, it it is a very like very specific childhood things of like seeing a location being like what can i do with this Totally. Um, outside of what it actually is. And so that's really fun to explore. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Like when I was a kid, I was just like, I don't, this is part of the, uh, you know, I guess fort building mindset, like any location you're in, you're like, how could I turn this into a fort? Yeah. Or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, and so like, to me, it's like, okay, how does, how does the library become a fort? But you've got like all this stuff here. And then the other thing was I wanted to, um, you know, the first book has all the music stuff in it. And the second book, it's not quite as out there other than the fact they're in the library a lot, but I wanted it to have like a hint that this was, this was about, um, or this has like this thread of the books in it and stuff. So um, I want to carry over that. And also the fact that like they're holed up in a place where, um, some vestige of like humanity is is left and like abundant yeah i guess that kind of that that kind of touches on a similar theme with the the music from the first one kind of being a you know what's the point of just surviving if you're not like passing on information stuff and books are another way to do that you pass on the the art and the information stuff so that's cool that that's still there um and just kind of always around them even if it's not like kind of the core focus yeah, 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 and I, and I wanted Cassie to have to draw just tons and tons oh of books over and over again. So many books, <laughs> <laughs> so much uh, detail too. You know, like she didn't cheat. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's um, I want to swing over to 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 Cassie for a minute about that. So, were you prepping Extraordinary for print while you were still like working on Lifeform Two? Like, was that kind of like a similar time frame? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, did like, did being in that process of like looking at your previous work and stuff like that, like actively converting that and all that, did that affect how you kind of like perceived like your current your current project at all? Or yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think so. If it did, not a whole lot because uh, extraordinary and life form feel like t- two totally different things. Yeah. Like maybe maybe a little bit of like the colors kind of influence uh life form a little bit, but but even that I think I feel like I held pretty true to the original or the first life formed. Yeah. Um, while still kind of like developing and growing my own skills as a colorist. Um yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, interesting juggling the two though. <laughs> and like each each perspective in life formed has kind of the uh it has its own like color filter to a degree, yeah. Um, which makes it really nice to like. I, when I was scrolling through to find sections, I could just by the coloring tell where we are at, so that helped a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. That was something that we talked a lot about uh, starting in book one, because you know you have uh, the alien dad as an alien uh, and like his history and backstory. We wanted to separate that from the main story and. The, yeah, the best way we came up with was by like color coding it. But then in the next, but in this book, we have we have those flashbacks kind of continuing, and then we have Alien Dad now Alex having flashbacks to human Alex's mind, and then we have the teenager and her history. So it was interesting breaking those all down and and kind of giving them their own yeah color story. 
to incorporate yeah. it all. Yeah, the uh, especially the flashbacks, like all the way to like Cleo being a baby, is really interesting. And I loved all of the. Uh, all we were talking about how, for the first good portion of like a child's life, they seem to be actively trying to kill themselves. <laughs> yeah, like they don't know that they're doing it, but they're just. <laughs> Like the gleeful look on her face as she's like reaching for like the electrical the out- outlet. Yeah, yeah. perfect. <laughs> it's like the missing tooth and everything. Yes, oh, great. <laughs> or or the uh, the I totally made that jump, but I need you to fix my handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Matt. As a father, how often were you just horrified that your children were going to kill themselves doing something dumb? Was that just like a constant like? Yeah. Yeah. There's like, uh, I mean, like the bike one was actually from me. I like thought I was going to jump this curb and I wasn't paying attention and there was a mailbox there. So I ran right into it and with my face. Um, so that That's not was what going postal is. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> and sadly way before anybody had gone postal, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, that one I took from, but like one time my, youngest daughter who was like four at the time we were hiking down a big hill in forest park which is a giant hill uh, by us and uh or series of hills and she you can't have a forest park with hills we have a forest park with hills (laughs) (laughs) it's i guess multiple multiple cities long perhaps it's big um so she took off down this hill and was ended up running down this super busy street um, just the side of the street where all these like semis and stuff are going by. And she's just on like this, like eight inch bit of curb basically. Um, and so we, like, we had to take off after her and we found her down there and she's running alongside these giant trucks and it was terrifying. So, um, that was sort of the impetus, uh, for trying to come up with as many, um, you know, terrifying moments as I could. And I feel like, you know, uh, all those were pretty much pulled from from actual life, um, so it was a, it was a lot. They do seem like they're trying to off themselves quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> it's unsettling, and uh, and most of the time they find it funny. So it's um, it's also um, and kind of tying with that, Cassie. That must have been fun to draw because I mean you're you're drawing a comic, so everybody's a little bit uh, you know unrealistic, so you can do expressions and stuff but children especially are like living cartoons so being able to like you know just go super like goofy with that must have been really fun yeah it was really fun doing those flashbacks and and just getting to see cleo and her her goofiness and her spunk from an earlier age i don't know yeah it was really fun to work on i was just gonna say i like one thing that i feel like I wanted to do with this book was, um, you know, like when I set out to do the first book, or at least when I initially wrote it, I didn't necessarily have Cassie in mind. And I wanted to like do some stuff that it felt like really took advantage of her abilities. And so I felt like those little flashbacks, especially like it's, it's not about the sci-fi of it all. It's not about, um, anything else except like the character moments and the emotion and everything. And, um, the acting and so I wanted to like do some stuff to play to her amazing abilities with that so yeah it felt like a good a good mix there definitely uh Cassie you got to you got to play with more alien designs in this than just kind of the the clay face people yeah um we were curious like what what 
it's nice that it's not like the the traditional like alien grays and we've got we've got stuff that's like a little bit inf- that i would guess is a little bit influenced by like the classic world war of the world tripods and stuff but i was curious where you kind of like pulled uh for your alien designs especially um so the the entity at the the pools um that that cassie goes and like because she puts her drawings on it we started referring to her as the fridge mother <laughs> um, nice oh, you guys come up with the best names that's amazing <laughs> um so tell us about designing fridge mother and her her little uh scrubbing her bubbles. little scrubbing bubbles yeah assistance <laughs> um yeah, we, we kind of went through a bunch of designs. Uh, I just I did a lot of different sketches for the machine, um, and originally had it kind of symmetrical. Um, I looked at like mushrooms and fungi and um, more deep sea stuff, which I looked at for the first book with alien stuff. Um, and we kind of the symmetrical stuff didn't feel quite right. Kind of needed to be a little bit more organic because I imagine their technology, like the alien technology, just kind of grows everywhere and like it's organic. Like you can see that in their ships and stuff too. Like there's a there's a fusion of mechanics and stuff there too. But yeah, so getting to play with that was really fun. And the little uh, the machines minions, um, scrubbing bubbles. <laughs> I had read Born by Jeff Vandermeer. And it was kind. That was kind of how I envisioned Born looking before he got bigger. If you've read that book at all, but I gave it to my dad for Christmas. <laughs> Jeff Vandermeer was a big influence too, just on the yeah. like the creature itself, and also just the. Uh, I was deep in the uh, the throes of loving like his uh, Southern Reach trilogy, and so the way that like that's sci-fi, but it was like sort of the weirdest most abstract sci-fi I'd ever read. I wanted to like get a little bit of that in there. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. And don't think we didn't notice. We began our synopsis with, uh, we begin with a man reading annihilation by Jeff Vanderbilt. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yes. And I uh, like tip our hats to him and the influence that he provided yep. for the book. Now, I also noticed that you, uh, you put issues of extraordinary in there. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> When you have the power to like cameo, you might as well do it as much as you can. <laughs> and then there was also the uh, the Love and Rockets tea, which at first I when I first saw the design because I was on my screen, so it was a little bit smaller. I was like, that looks kind of like the turret from Portal. And then I looked closer, and I was like, no, that's a heart. That's a rocket. All right, I I can piece these together. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, we get. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I wanted to run with the. You know, rock band t-shirt thread, um, or the old man rock band t-shirt thread. So, um, so that was pretty cool. I've been listening to those guys since I was like, I don't know, 12, 11 or 12. So um, it was uh, awesome that they actually wrote back and were cool with us using that. Did you read the Love and Rockets comics as well? Uh, I haven't read those yet. That's like kind of on my to-do list of um, classics that I need to go back to. Did you have did you have kind of a, a soundtrack for this book as well to a degree, or since it was a little bit less like there wasn't that quite that same through line, did you kind of move away from that in the production process at all? I definitely had one. I like I sort of imagined that in this book, Cleo was deep into actually listening to all the music that 
she'd gotten off the list and sort of expanding out from there. So I think my actual writing soundtrack was like the list plus I haven't really gone back through this and made it made it uh, shareable yet. But um, the list plus like stuff where she would have branched off from that list and like discovered other things and Mm -hmm. done that kind of stuff, especially being at the library. Like I figure like when I was a kid and I went to the library, I found tons of stuff that I never would have picked up at a store because I wouldn't have heard of it. But when it's free and you can just take it right home and listen to it. um, uh, Yeah. So I think I definitely had a writing soundtrack and, and like we've got the scene where Cleo's singing the Rilo Kylie song uh, Mm -hmm. to herself and and so I sort of imagine that's what she's mostly immersed in at this point. Um, yeah, I was kind of thinking of it progressively. And then in future books, she's going to have stuff that she was sort of discovering during the library period and stuff. So now I kind of want that scene of because like with a book at the library, you pick it up and you look at the cover and you're like, oh, that could be interesting. And so you start yeah. flipping through it and you kind of decide for yourself with a, like a CD or an album. It's different because you're it's much more just like. I hope the cover reflects the music that I want to hear in relation to that image. (laughs) Um, And so it'd be really interesting to like see her flipping through and like picking up and kind of imagining what the music would be like just based on that image. Totally. Um, Totally. Yeah. And I imagine like if you're in the apocalypse, right, you, any, anything you come across, cause you've got tons of time. Right. (laughs) um, And you've got like, you're going to be wandering through different environments. So I would imagine like you're probably going to get pretty eclectic in your, in anything because you know you've got a lot you've got a lot of time to kill uh, (laughs) and a lot of access to stuff when you find stuff that's you know not destroyed or burned down or whatever so um yeah i think it could get really interesting that's the kind of stuff that makes me want it to be you know like the series to be like 12 books long and have all sorts of digressions into um stuff that probably only i would care about but uh, (laughs) let's talk about you called her the the teenager we we use we use the generic term initially, just the hooded figure, and then you. Yeah, I started writing HF. She just did HF, and then I did the hooded one, which I think is a pull from Bone by Jeff Smith. I'm okay. pretty sure the hooded one is in that, which you know, shout out to Jeff Smith, he's great. But yes. uh, um, we found it really cool that her big weapon was basically just the truth, because all she needed to do was kind of like keep tabs on them and like tell them what they were doing to each other behind their backs. Yeah. Um, and that was a really devious and interesting. And also the fact that she was literally like sitting at a movie theater watching it yeah. all uh, <laughs> was just delightfully vicious. What kind of went into writing that as more of like a, it wasn't a big bad in the same way as like a shipmaster coming down from space. It was more devious. Right. I mean, I think that like kids are uh, I'm, I, I experience this regularly. Kids are really good when they want to be at like f- at being emotionally, I guess, cruel is the right way to put it. Um, yeah. Like they're really their emotional intelligence around that stuff and like figuring out the things that are going to hurt you and all that stuff like that's they're really good at that. And so I wanted to kind of leverage that in terms of the villain Um and I, I felt like, you know, in the first book, the threat was totally external and it seemed like it would be way more or it could be really interesting to sort of make the threat internal and have it be their own behavior and and have it be derived from 
like what they're going through. Like they're in like a totally weird situation and they're not going to act heroic all the time. And I wanted to kind of lean into that, especially like when you're like 10 to 12 or whatever, at least like the myself and people I know, you do all sorts of like weird little stuff. And so like kind of embracing that and then having this person on the outside sort of just watching it. Like you wouldn't want anybody to be tracking your every movements when you're a teenager. It's it's like horrible. So um, it seemed like a really cruel way to have the villain be. And the villain's whole sort of driver is that Cleo took away like the life that she anticipated for herself when she came to Earth as part of the invading force, basically. And she thought she was going to have a better life. And in her mind, Cleo ruined that. And so it seemed like the right thing for her to want to burn Cleo's life down. And as soon as she starts investigating what Cleo's up to, she sees that the best way to do that is is to just like leverage what Cleo's doing rather than just an outright attack, you know? Yeah. So uh, it felt, uh, it felt more compelling and it felt like something different. Like if we only got to do two books, let's have one where the threat is from the outside and one where the threats from sort of within. So, right. There's a part when she goes to confront pseudo Alex and Oh gosh, I'm having a hard time finding it, and my computer doesn't like the fact that I'm trying to do this and have a Skype conversation. Oh yeah, no problem. Um, (laughs) He says, "That's enough. If you want your ray gun back, I need some space so I can focus. Do you understand?" And she's like, "Oh, I understand, all right. I understand that you don't even know me at all." He's like, "Cleo, that does not even make sense as a reply to what I was saying. Your face doesn't make sense." And I just love how I, I love that the acknowledging that it's like this this is not even in the conversation right now, but okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, all that's all pretty real life right there. Um Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I take lots of notes. <laughs> so going back to Cleo and Pseudo Alex's relationship, it, it seems like it goes through a couple different like phases in this like it and and not necessarily like permanent change from one to the other it just it's kind of situational because sometimes they're a bit more like you know father daughter and then sometimes they're a bit more it's it's almost closer to like a buddy cop yeah. sort of situation yeah. with how they're like working off each other well and so like i was just curious what was what were what was important for you to like put into their relationship that you got a chance to really like dig into now that they've had some time to get to understand how uh, each other works. Right. I mean, I think the first thing I wanted to do was like start off with a cool action scene where they were working together. Like I knew that that was, I don't know why that was, that was just in my head from the beginning. Um, so that you could see that they were really like this main job that they'd set out for themselves of fighting back against the aliens that they were, they were good at it. And then I think I, kind of wanted to lean into the thing of where after you're, I mean, it's not a, it's not a one-to-one obviously, but as your, you know, as your kid gets older and stuff and you like your relationship transitions between needing, like you were talking about, just needing to keep them alive so they don't stick their finger in a light socket um, <laughs> to having to, it's a weird, like you're trying to accept them for who they are. You're trying to a little bit be their friend, but you're also trying a little bit to still protect them and guide them, I guess. And so like, I felt like all, all those things are things you pass through in like any given day. Um, and so I felt that for Alex, 
or for both of them, I guess, like they're both sort of going back and forth between those things all the time. And I think just kind of capturing different beats of those felt important. It also felt important to me to make it like you were talking about the sort of the argument that they have or whatever. They have a few of them. But, um, you know, I think you could come away from the first book and just have like the warm, fuzzy feeling of, oh, she found someone to help her, even though her dad is gone. And, you know, I just like I wanted to show that it's uh, or I wanted to be more complicated than that. And that no, you know, relationship is without its like strife as well as the good parts. We liked the fact that I I compared well, I guess I contrasted it with The Walking Dead, which I really enjoy the comics for the most part, um, but the show it follows a very familiar pattern of people trying to fend for themselves then they find somebody that they think might be an ally and then things go wrong and they have to find new people. And I like the fact that like this opens up by being like, we're not going to bother trying to like, like we're not saying that we aren't going to like ever talk with other people or whatever, but we're fine on our own and we're, we're doing it well. And we, you know, it was, it was nice that it didn't go that route. Cause it gets exhausting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so easy to repeat that too. I feel like, like once you get into that pattern, um, yeah, I don't know. I was I was conscious of that, and it's like I just I don't know if I want to go down that path at least yet, because um, it's uh, yeah enough yeah. enough stories have done that right. And like you know, not saying that you can't ever use that as a tool, but it's nice that it's you know now they they've developed more on their own, so it's going to be, if they encounter another group down the line, it's going to be a it's not going to be a repetition of the first time. It is definitely going to be like a totally different situation so that's going to be nice yeah let's talk about the space woman <laughs> that we need answers for please just give us a, like book three now right <laughs> you, you have book three and and this one is actually 80 percent her and then 20 percent uh cleo and pseudo alex <laughs> so that we can figure out what all is going on with her no but we we thought she was really interesting yeah and we also love loved the fact that you it appeared that you guys did enough research to like try and represent her religion and culture in a way that wasn't just like skimming the first few sentences of a wikipedia article and just being like <laughs> oh i know all about that religion now yes <laughs> yeah we definitely tried because that's you know that we've we've encountered that a yeah, couple of times we, with some. We, yeah, we've read some pretty offensive stuff. Yeah, in yeah. this podcast, yeah. so I was like, oh, this is such a relief that they clearly wanted to get this right. Yeah, and, and that's attempts like, were made. Yeah, yeah, we acknowledge the fact that you know, y- you never know entirely how somebody else's life works, but the mm-hmm. fact that you know, it's obvious that you make an effort like that goes so far, and it's you know, it was obvious that like what you were doing there was. There was there was effort involved, and it's nice to see because we've seen situations where there wasn't. Yeah, so. yeah. cool. Yeah, no, that was uh, I should let Cassie uh, weigh in on this too. Like we we got some uh, outside help from Sabia Rahman, who's uh, who'd written a book that I'd read about about uh, her immigrant experience, and uh, she was super helpful with not only like making sure that we were on target ish, but also adding some, you know, giving some feedback that actually added a a lot to the story. So um, that was uh, a super cool experience overall. And I, uh, I agree with you. I um, could totally 
go down the path of uh, an entire Aisha book. Um, and uh, if we get to do more, she will feature big for sure. So, And I... Uh... Cassie, let's talk a little bit about those same sequences because you get to you get to kind of play with a different toolkit. Yeah. With that, like there's some really cool like when she goes like out in the spacesuit for like a couple pages yeah. or whatever, there's some like really cool things there that you wouldn't get to do with the rest of the story. And so I don't know, just tell me how cool it was, because it looks super cool. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, those are really fun pages to work on because you're right. Like I'm working with this completely different environment and kind of like different field of the storytelling almost and getting to kind of experience Aisha's wonder at it all. Yeah. It was, plus it's a nice break from a lot of like the, the hard despair stuff that she's been going through and then getting to portray. Yeah. Like her faith and her um, prayer and all that. Yeah. It was really cool. It's not something I've done before and yeah, we definitely want to get it right. So thanks so much for acknowledging it. That, um, and it looked like maybe we did it okay. <laughs> I loved the uh, the scene where she's she's about to pray and she's like, "Well, normally I would face my door, yeah, but I'm this is like very far from home, so I'm gonna face away." And it was just kind of that, like, I'm sure God's gonna understand yeah. this. <laughs> like, I'm trying. <laughs> but yeah, let me just scan through here and see if there are any other. No, that covers pretty much. Everything. Did you think of anything else? Do you have any questions, Amara? We we talked about this with Cassie last time. That like whenever somebody's like, "Do you have any questions?" Like, nope. And then like three minutes later, it's like, "I have so many questions." That are gone now. <laughs> I relate to that so much. <laughs> well, I guess two part question of what's next for you guys, just broadly speaking. If you have anything besides volume three, and then if the first one was terminator and the second one was no country for old men where are you kind of feeling the third one will end up as uh, cassie you want to go first since i've been talking nonstop. <laughs> well as far as like what's next let's see the book comes out on the 4th of september which is when this podcast comes out and then all of september i've actually got a gallery showing um at the sequential art gallery in portland uh with pages from life formed so that's cool. That's awesome. Working on getting that together. And yeah, I'm also, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I'm working on a pitch for a completely different type of story. Uh, it's an autobiographical story. Yeah. So hoping to get that put together and send that out to some people. That's exciting. Yeah. I am, I think I have uh, three stories of varying lengths with artists actually on board now. And they're all like kind of, almost about to get started so that's oh geez um, you got busy well yeah i mean <laughs> i i wrote all this stuff like anywhere from like a year to six months ago and then it kind of went into artist finding space and uh things have taken their time but i think that it's getting closer so that'll be exciting and we'll we'll see i'm waiting i'm waiting to actually get something done there before i worry about what i'm going to do with it uh, <laughs> with it when it's done so there's that and then um i've written a very detailed almost script level thing for book three and an outline for book four which is sort of my two-part my two-part ending um and i think i'm not sure like tone wise i think that 
we, we talked about it or Cassie and I talked about it with this book, like wanting to get to a place where we're doing something that we haven't seen before, or at least, yeah, that sounds a little too grandiose, but you know, like something, <laughs> something sort of different. We just want to invent a new genre. Right. right. Um, <laughs> But, like, take the story places we hadn't really seen this kind of story go. And so I hope that the – I think that the third book is hopefully – the third and fourth book are hopefully sort of that. And, yeah, so we'll see. You know, it'll doing a two-part thing that is sort of a – you know, where the fourth book would be a real – like, even more than this, a con, uh, even more than one and two, a continuation of each other. Um you know, is a, is sort of a business decision too that um, I'm not. We'll, we'll have to see if we get the chance to make like to a, make it like an Infinity War Endgame sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, kind. Of. Yeah. So um, and since uh, <laughs> since the numbers are a little different, um, our situation uh, <laughs> might be a little different. So yeah, we'll see what we get to do. But um, after I sit, I did that a while ago. So that was probably six months ago that I wrote that stuff. So I think that, um, you know, I've had more or I've had new ideas in the interim. So I think that no matter where we get to take it or how long it has to be or whatever, I think that, um, there'll be some cool stuff and hopefully it's just like, uh, more relationship building. I'm, I'm really excited to build on the Aisha stuff. Um, and, continue to evolve Cleo and Alex. Yeah. And have them hang out in weird locations. Um, So I've got a, like a dirty, yes, (laughs) a dirty motel pool. Like that's the, uh, where like they just kind of sit on the lawn chairs and hang out. (laughs) That's sort of, uh, one thing I've got going on. So yeah, I, I can, I can picture, I can picture Cleo like sitting and like acting like she's like sun tanning and stuff, and just pretending that like she's like at, at like a fancy spa and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and soon Alex is just like, I'm not sure I understand how spas work. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. of yes. So uh, yeah, so I think um, we've got some cool places we can take it after this events of book two. So it should be fun. Awesome. I'm not gonna ask a whole lot about your other potential ideas but would they fall into a similar like audience or are you gonna are are you um trying to expand to uh those weird grown-up people that i don't understand yeah i the ones that happen to like get traction or get what minimal traction they've gotten so far are sort of more adult stuff in sort of like a sci-fi twilight zoney sort of thing uh sort of way and they're all they're all short, like way shorter. Um, so I just wanted to, you know, I felt, I feel like over the last couple of books, I've hopefully built up some skills that I want to try to apply in different ways. And it felt like the best way to do that was just sort of get some short stuff going on and, and see where that went. And I've got some like long form pitch stuff that I'm thinking through, but pitches are hard and uh, <laughs> and take a lot of time and then also you know if you're only doing seven to ten pages for a pitch or something it's sort of not I've done it a few times now and then like when if you get anywhere with it, it even in terms of getting it produced it's not super fulfilling to just have your seven to ten page pitch that isn't a complete thing and so um, just want to get some short complete stuff kind of done and try working with some 
uh, other folks and see how that goes, that kind of stuff. So. Well, I mean, you could always just uh, you could just uh, send a pitch to an artist and they do ten pages, and then you pitch uh, and don't tell the next artist that they're actually doing pages <laughs> eleven through twenty. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's I do have a I have a loose idea to tie together all these short things in like a under a a shared universe kind of thing, even though the stories themselves aren't super connected. Um, So it's sort of like all in a certain world, but yeah, so we'll see. It's, uh, I always get worried to talk about stuff before it's actually happened. So uh, don't, don't want to. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, we're looking forward to things from both of you guys. I just finished reading a second volume of Emmy Town, so now I need some other autobiographical comic to read. Cassie, hurry up! <laughs> um. Get on it. It's coming along. I'm making progress. Feels good. good. Um, yeah. So I mean, we'll we'll definitely be keeping track of you guys, and we'll keep in touch, and kind of we look forward to talking to you for Life Form Three, if nothing else, before that. But yeah, cool. cool. So. Thanks for chatting with us. Today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to go ahead and do a quick little social media plug where people can find you? Sure, go for it, Matt. Okay. Uh, I am Matt, M-A-T-T-M-L-P-D-X, uh, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, I think, still. Um, and then we've got uh, lifeformedcomic.com is the website. We've got a couple short stories up there, one of which was in the Hollywood Reporter yesterday, or on their web on, on their website. So that was big pretty- time. Right? <laughs> uh, you guys, you guys made it to Hollywood. Yeah. We did. <laughs> it might be as close as we get, but um, yeah. So uh, yeah, you can find us there, and um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram posting cosplay people holding life formed and <laughs> pictures of my run and uh you know that kind of thing um and sneak- and what what movies that you've been watching there you go yes yeah, i've got a man <laughs> uh yeah and i'm cassie j anderson on instagram and cassie does art on twitter yeah i think that's pretty much it oh i've got a patreon too which is patreon.com slash cassie j anderson yep that's me and we do have a life form Patreon too with a few patrons um, where you can find uh, behind the scenes stuff um, in pretty great detail. And that's just life form patreon.com slash life formed comic. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that about does it. Thanks everybody for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.